All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Sky High Sports and Entertainment, another solo episode, and we're back to a major sports focus with some big things in TV as well this week. We have the Denver Nuggets advancing to their first NBA Finals ever after sweeping LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and the Los Angeles Lakers. So we're going to talk about them and how they did it. Then we had the Miami Heat with Jimmy Butler, the playoff darling, up 3 nothing against the Boston Celtics. And they are at this moment up only 3-2 after Boston has come storming back. So will they win game three in Miami? We're going to get into that too. And of course, Carmelo Anthony's retirement. One of the all-time greats, ninth leading scorer, NBA top 75 player. So we're definitely going to give our flowers to him. And of course, we have Succession, the finale coming up this weekend. So I'm going to make some pretty big predictions on that and recap a little bit of how we got here, but mostly just for the purpose of predicting the finale. Yellow Jackets just aired its season finale today, which was incredible, amazing twist, pretty epic stuff recreated uh, in the present and the past major storylines going on. And last but not least, something people don't know so much is that Ted Lasso is actually supposed to come to an end next week. There is no fourth season right now. They film the season finale as though it is the series finale. Uh, Phil Dunster, who plays Jamie Tart, has released an article about saying goodbye to the character. So there's a lot going on right now, and we're going to get into all of it. So first off, I want to talk about Carmelo Anthony, one of the all-time greats, one of my personal favorite players ever. I mean, I was 10 years old when he was drafted in 03, so he was really big when I was getting into basketball and he was just incredible. He really represented the time and the style as well of the early 2000s. I think Carmelo Anthony appearing in the game's music video for Hate It or Love It with 50 Cent has to be one of the most 2000 moments of all time. Carmelo Anthony had the baggy clothes, the style, the swagger, the Allen Iverson cornrows. I mean, he was just the definition of cool uh, in his prime, especially. And even as he retires today, you see him getting so many flowers from people because he just is that guy and people really, really appreciate him. I mean, what other NBA player is going to retire other than, of course, you know, a LeBron James, a Kobe Bryant, where they're going to get so many flowers from rappers, you know, rappers like Ludacris and Fabulous and all those guys who are really attached to Melo because Melo was hip hop. Melo was style after Allen Iverson came in and merged hip hop and the NBA so well in a way that didn't exist as much in the 90s with Michael Jordan in, part in particular. I mean, right, the theme song was Serious by the Alan Parsons Project and just a very different time. Whereas I think Carmelo Anthony really carried that torch from Allen Iverson of hip hop and the NBA. And that that's just the style. Then you talk about the buckets, you talk about the jab step, the scoring, the fact that he scored 50 points in jump shots against the Miami Heat. He did not get in the paint. And Carmelo has a top 25 dunk list on NBA.com because he could get in the paint. He was one of the most lethal scorers 
of all time. He could have been in the NBA this year after averaging 14.8 points with the lot, 13.8 points with the Los Angeles Lakers, third highest scoring average ever in a 19th season behind Kobe and LeBron. Uh, unfortunately, it's just, you know, people wanted to give their minutes to the young guys, but you look at Phoenix now in hindsight, and of course he could have helped them in the playoffs uh, to get some extra scoring punch, but it couldn't just all be on book and Kevin Durant and they needed some other guys and depth. So it would have been nice to see him play this year, but it's also fun that he played his last season uh, with his best friend, LeBron James. I actually wrote an article for Lakers Nation about LeBron and Mello's friendship and Howard Beck has a great one as well. But man, I mean, they were friends playing in high school, talking about their dreams of making it to the league and supporting their moms. And they really went through life together. You know, it's another member of the Banana Boat crew with Dwayne Wade, Chris Paul, LeBron James, and uh, Carmelo Anthony. And now we have Dwayne Wade and Carmelo out of the NBA. So let's give Carmelo Anthony his flowers with a top five Carmelo Anthony moments list. And one other thing I want to say about Melo is that he is the winningest player without a ring in NBA history. And this list will explain why. Okay, so number five is Carmelo Anthony becoming the most winning player in men's Olympic United States basketball history with his third gold medal in 2016. That is such an incredible legacy because, you know, the way the USA has dominated, but also the way that Melo was part of, actually, he has a bronze medal as well because USA basketball had gone so downhill from the dream team in 2004. But in 2008 on the redeem team with Kobe and LeBron, Melo was such a big part of that. He was back in 2012. And then even with his age, he led the 2016 squad. He was the leader of that squad and led them to an Olympic gold medal. So he's the only person with three. He has more than anyone. He maintained his longevity to contribute that much and be a leader, much more of a leader than people give him credit for. And if you think about it outside of the end, NBA, the biggest basketball stages are college basketball, which of course we're going to get to when it comes to Mello, and the Olympics. And so that's why I say, even though he didn't win a championship and is the only top 10 scorer without a championship, he still made an amazing legacy uh, with his winning ways in the Olympics and in college, which we will get into. Number four is his 10th all-star selection. There are less than 40 players in NBA history with 10 all-star selections, and Melo is one of those guys. He was so popular. He was so beloved. And in 2017, he was still able to do it after being drafted in 2003 and on the Knicks, uh, selected to the 10th all-star game of his career. And that's just a massive of accomplishment to achieve double digits. It shows his longevity. It shows his productivity. It shows his ability to uh, really get the fans on side as well and how popular that he was as an NBA player. Number three is 62 points at Madison Square Garden. That is still the record there for most points all time scored at the great Madison Square Garden where Luka Doncic had a 60.20 rebound 10 assist game where Kobe Bryant scored 61 points and James Harden scored 61 points, the road records, but no one goes above Carmelo Anthony, no one who has ever played for the New York Knicks, no one who's ever visited the great Madison Square Garden, it's Melo, and he scored any way you want it, one of the best 
bucket getters in NBA history, which we will obviously talk more about. But in this game, he was just doing it from everywhere and even hits a half court jumping one legged buzzer beater uh, to end the second half, I believe. Um, and he was just he was just amazing in this game. He scored from everywhere. And you see more 60 point games now at that time. Wow. I mean, Mello was one of the only guys in the NBA who had ever had a 60 point game. Really, it was just him, LeBron and Kobe uh, in 2014. So that's how rare it was then. All right. Number two, we have his college championship. He won the NCAA March Madness with Syracuse in 2003. Carmelo Anthony is the greatest one and done player of all time. He did it as a freshman, one of the best basketball players ever. And he entered the NBA with that hype. And I got to give a what if here, because how did the Detroit Pistons draft Darko Milicic, random European player who really didn't go on to do anything other than the fact that he sat on the bench during the Pistons championship because the Detroit Pistons won the 2004 championship. If they drafted Carmelo Anthony with the number two pick, obviously number one was going to be LeBron James. Then Carmelo Anthony, like they for sure would have won the championship. They would have just had a better scorer on their team additionally and a rookie Carmelo. And the whole narrative on his career would have changed, even though today I think he's re it's really worth celebrating what he did, even without winning a championship ring, because he won so much outside the NBA. I mean, to be a freshman and lead your team to the college basketball championship, he was just an otherworldly talent. He was that guy. He could hit the clutch shots and it's a memory that will live forever and go down as a major part of Carmelo's basketball resume that he won in college and that he won three Olympic gold medals and he was a 10-time All-Star and then what's coming up at number one. Uh, but first, I do want to give one honorable mention, which is the fact that in, I believe, 2009, Carmelo Anthony hits this ridiculous buzzer beater against the Toronto Raptors. And then one of my favorite NBA storylines ever is when Carmelo, people just didn't want him in the league after his Thunder tenure. Um, he had sort of a reputation because actually after the Thunder, he went to the Rockets for 10 days and they, they just cut him. They cut him like a freshman in high school. They just let him go. Hall of Fame player. It was shocking. Many people thought he'd never play in the NBA again. I searched Carmelo on Google all the time. Like, where's he going to go? Why aren't teams talking about this? Carmelo Anthony, I think he had like a nine of 12 shooting game in his second last game with the Rockets. Like they just really, really did not want the name on their team. They did him really dirty. And so it was, it was shocking stuff to see. And he was out of the league. He was on first take, like pitching himself, like hall of famer, Carmelo Anthony. It was shocking. And one day, the Portland Trailblazers, because all these players love him, but Damian Lillard especially, signed Carmelo Anthony, and he was a great addition there. He did really, really well. And in particular, it might have been his fourth game back, uh, but he scored, I think, 29 points and hit a game winner in the same spot as he did in Denver against the Toronto Raptors. So that was absolutely uh, amazing to see. And it's just so special thinking about Carmelo in Denver, in New York, and uh, definitely him retiring the same day the Nuggets get to the final was a very cool day for the city. And hopefully they'll retire both Melo and Jokic's number 15 jerseys. I think the New York Yankees have done it for a bunch of numbers. So I really hope they do that. 
But number one, the greatest Carmelo Anthony moment is when he became the ninth all-time leading scorer, well with the Los Angeles Lakers. His name is forever etched in history. Listen to the names that are above Carmelo Anthony. Moses Malone, uh, who was a three-time MVP. Dirk Nowitzki, who has one of the greatest NBA championships in history and also an MVP. Shaquille O'Neal, arguably the most physically dominant player in NBA history, four-time champion. Kobe Bryant, five-time champion. Michael Jordan, six-time champion. Wilt Chamberlain, NBA champion, and has most of the most ridiculous scoring records ever, including a 100-point game. LeBron James, four-time champion, all-time leading scorer. Carl Malone, second all-time leading scorer, and went to multiple NBA finals with the Utah Jazz. Uh, those are the only names ahead of Carmelo Anthony on the all-time leading scorer list who have ever touched a basketball. That's how good this dude is. That's how incredible his legacy is. Melo could hit you with the jab step. He could hit jumpers. He had the quickest release in NBA history. It was just smooth. It was poetry in motion. It was given the ball, and in a second, it's released with the smoothest, wettest jumper you will ever see in your entire life. Carmelo Anthony playing basketball with the footwork he had, ability to drive inside, and his very underrated rebounding um, was, a, was a thing to behold and something that NBA fans and NBA players coming up would do really well to study and remember. And Melo's Hall of Fame induction will be something really, really special. So major shout out to Carmelo Anthony on an unbelievable career that will be remembered forever by so many people. And uh, many people will talk about for many years to come, Carmelo will always be a big part of the NBA, being named to the 75 greatest NBA players in history last year by the NBA themselves. All right, let's get back into the current NBA. Speaking of Carmelo Anthony, the Denver Nuggets are going to the NBA Finals, and they have been absolutely incredible. It was very questionable why the number one seed was not getting as much coverage throughout the year. And Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix came out this week and said, oh, we don't cover them because they're not as interesting. And I've been watching the Nuggets. They're really fun to watch. When you see Jamal Murray and, and the Joker in particular, right? Like people haven't gotten him on air as much, even with his two MVPs. But Magic Johnson is saying, you know, he's up there with Kobe, MJ, LeBron, Bird as just an enigma. Not greatness yet, but just an enigma. Someone who is next level to watch. And that is what Jokic is. We've never seen anything like him. He's not the most athletic big man of all time. But in these playoffs, he passed Wilt Chamberlain with eight playoff triple-doubles, the most in NBA playoff history, now belongs to Nikola Jokic. Anytime you pass any of Wilt's records, you're talking about rarefied air. And Jokic did that, and the way he does it is unbelievable. He can shoot the three really well. He can make it from anywhere on the court. One-handed floaters. He can get inside. And he's a dog, too. Like, he really has that mentality that people don't give him credit for. And he's so much fun to watch because he can do these ridiculous Magic Johnson-esque passes as well as dominate on the boards with the rebounds and scoring almost any way you want it. And uh, it's really, really fun to watch him play. Then you got Jamal Murray, who can be like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan, who he just named as his two greatest players of all time, which I certainly agree with. 
in the fourth quarter, especially other than the last game, of course, that they didn't need him to do that. But he's he's a killer. He's absolutely incredible. He performed in the bubble. People thought it was a fluke, but he has proven it again in these playoffs. He's been unbelievable. 30 points and a half, 23 in the second quarter, I believe. Very Jordan-esque. And uh, Jamal Murray is just a force to be reckoned with when he is on. That is the important thing for them going forward. So huge, huge shout out to the Denver Nuggets. And if Jamal Murray can go on to win, that would be big. I'm from Canada for Canadian basketball as well. Um, I don't think there's ever been a Canadian player who is that good, who has won a championship. Andrew Wiggins was a clear, at least number three option. Jamal Murray is a clear number two option. So that would be huge for Canadian basketball uh, for sure. All right. Also, though, the one thing that we have to do is uh, say goodbye to the Los Angeles Lakers. LeBron talked about retirement. I don't really believe it for a second. I think that uh, you just wanted a little bit of spotlight after getting eliminated. You got to give him credit for nearly having a 40-point triple-double at 38 years old with surgery. It's actually unbelievable. Uh, he will be back for sure. LeBron has gotten swept a lot of times in the playoffs, though, and I've I've seen it, and so it's it's tough to get those sights out of your mind when you think about them in the GOAT debate, but that is for another day here. Um, look, let's talk about the Lakers going forward for a second. They have a good roster. D'Angelo Russell did not perform, so I don't know. I don't know. They might want to think about moving him, or he needs to be able to really, really step up and be more consistent. And hopefully he can do that. I personally do believe in him. I thought as a rookie, he showed a lot of incredible flashes. Um, but he's not a rookie anymore. And in the NBA in particular, you know, you don't have a sh as short, you have a shorter lifespan than you do in real life. So he, he does eventually have to get it going on a consistent basis. Other than that, though, I like their roster. I think that they, they did really, really well. Reality of this roster and why I'm not doubting them for next year is that they have players who came together midway through the season. And they still made the Western Conference Finals. They were completely outmatched. The Grizzlies had issues with John Morant getting suspended. Stephen Adams wasn't there. And then the Golden State Warriors were one of the worst road teams to ever have just won a championship of all time. So they did not face anyone on the level of Denver before this. And they were simply outmatched. So I give them credit for making it that far. Um, I give credit to Denver for being that good and people not paying as much attention as they should have to them. And I think that um, the Lakers can still contend next year for sure. I think LeBron will be back. Uh, it was shocking to hear him talk about retirement for the first time. And I don't know, maybe he could have given Melo a day in that in that spotlight, like his best friend. But uh, anyways, we'll see what happens there. I think LeBron will be back. I think the Lakers will be back as well. Uh, but I think this year it's going to be the Denver Nuggets. Uh, I mean, it already is the Denver Nuggets out of the Western Conference, and they could win the championship as well. So let's talk a little bit about Eastern Conference here uh, before we get into the entertainment half, of course. Had to go into sports, though, because as much as I love uh, Lizzie McGuire and, and Disney Channel shows I grew up with and getting to interview Ethan Kraft and Jim Fall, the director of the movie, Clayton Snyder playing Ethan Kraft, of course. Um, but I love my sports as well. I know you guys 
probably do too if you're still listening to this part of the podcast before fast forwarding to the entertainment part so uh thanks for bearing with me and listening as always really appreciate it so let's get into the miami heat and the boston celtics because i love me some jimmy butler the way that he is able to come alive in the playoffs is a next-level mentality, uh, the likes of which we haven't seen. Because obviously you want them to be players to be good all the time, but to see someone who performs that well under pressure is incredible. And I say under pressure with a pause because that is the most important thing to keep in mind as the Celtics have currently gone from being up 3-0 to being up only 3-2. Jimmy Butler is incredible. He is incredible. He beat the Milwaukee Bucks, and of course it was the Miami Heat and the team, but they were the number one seed, the Bucks, and Butler was out of his mind the same way he was in round two, and it was just a true pleasure to watch. I've never seen anyone who can come alive at the end of a super close game quite like Jimmy Butler that doesn't seem to do it in the regular season as much. Uh, it's really amazing to see how he changes from the regular season to the postseason and his mindset. And uh, he's a dog because he sneaks up on you. Kobe, LeBron, NJ, they're great all the time. You know they're going to be good in the playoffs too and give you some trouble. Jimmy Butler, this year people were really doubting the Heat, uh, finishing as the seventh seed and then with a play and becoming the eighth seed. Uh, but Jimmy Butler, I've said before, he's like the John Wick. Like you don't know he's coming and, and he does. But at this point, we should know Jimmy Butler is going to pick it up in the playoffs. So I want to give him a lot of credit, and that's one reason I'm not concerned about Miami. My prediction is I do think that they will win uh, Game 6 in Miami. And if they don't, I still think they'll win Game 7 because the Miami Heat and Jimmy Butler play better under pressure. And they weren't under any pressure when they were up 3 nothing. They let it slide a bit. They had a Gabe Vincent injury. They had Hero injured the whole series. And they sort of need that shooting two-guard, um, they or that shooting guard. And so Gabe Vincent is supposed to be back for game six. Hopefully he makes it back. And if he does, I think the Heat for sure close it out. I think, though, now that their backs are a little bit more against the wall, we're going to see a different squad. We're going to see Butler come alive. We're going to see the Heat play the brand of basketball they've been playing. But I got to give Boston credit for coming back and, and winning for sure. And I think, you know, the Heat had turnover issues. Again, Jimmy Butler wasn't aggressive enough when their backs weren't against the wall enough. He shot five for 10, 50%, 14 points, but he did not do nearly enough for them to win. And I expect that to change. He said they will win for sure. I believe Jimmy Butler, but definitely with Jason Tatum scoring all-time record 51 points in a game seven, I don't know. This Boston team is pretty special overall. They haven't lived up to expectations so far, but if any team ever is going to come back from being down three, nothing at this point, it's going to be them 20. It's never happened in NBA history. 20 years ago, you had the Portland trailblazers come back to for a game seven against the Dallas Mavericks. And that series, uh, obviously the trailblazers lost, but they were a six seed compared to Dallas being a three seed. So they were expected to lose. Miami is an eight seed against a two seed here. And so they're expected to lose. And so we haven't really seen anything like this in a long time. So Boston could come back. Obviously, they have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, one of the best duos. And, when, and then Derek White, who always has a great playoff game. 
I feel like that might have been game five. We'll see what Boston can do. I expect Miami to close this out in game six. And even if it's game seven and everyone says Boston has all the momentum, that's when Jimmy Butler's at his best. I don't see Miami losing this series. I think it'll be a Nuggets Heat finals. And I can't wait to talk about it when it is. I actually have a great uh, basketball guest coming on next week. Not going to say the name just because sometimes interviews fall through. You never know what's going to happen. People cancel the day of. But someone who's interviewed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Kobe Bryant, and I think is one of the best basketball minds in the business. So stay tuned for that. And we'll also know the NBA finals. So I'll preview that. All right, now for a little bit of entertainment in the second half here. We're going to talk Ted Lasso, Yellow Jackets, and Succession, one of the best three-month periods of television of all time, having these shows on. But yes, unfortunately, after the end of this week, it's crazy to think, actually, that it's all within a uh, a, a six-day period or five-day period here. But yes, Yellow Jackets, Ted Lasso, and Succession – um, will be over. Yellow Jackets has a season three, but Ted Lasso is, they filmed it as though it's over for good. Succession is going to be over for good. So uh, definitely these shows really deserve their flowers. And I'm going to get into it right now, starting with Ted Lasso, so we can kind of transition out of sports a little bit. All right. So this week's Ted Lasso was called Mom City. Uh, it was a big focus on mother relationships for Ted Lasso and Jamie Tart, but really this was the Jamie Tart episode. Um, I mean, to see him after what he went through with his abusive father, uh, booing him and coming to games, and it was just brutal to see. Uh, but we met his mom, and his mom was someone really caring, who really cared about him, and they had a great relationship. And Jamie was having some heavy mental health issues. He did not feel like himself because him and his father no longer spoke to each other. And uh, it was hard to see. I mean, he just started bawling in Roy Kent's arms. Wow, what a, what a turnaround that is. Ted Lasso, some of the best character development ever. Uh, Jamie was a total antagonist with an attitude in the beginning who always called Roy old and made himself completely vulnerable. And that was, that was amazing to see. But uh, the real story for me with Jamie Tart that actually reminded me of my all-time favorite player, Kobe Bryant, was when he went back to his old uh, Manchester City team to play, this time with Richmond. And what was amazing to see was that he was playing well and doing the dirty work, you know, goes in goal after Van Damme can't save it and kicks the ball out so that there's no goal, but he gets injured. And they're really worried because Jamie Tart just won Premier League Player of the Month. He's their best player. And Ted Lasso gives him a pep talk on the sideline about what's been going on with him mentally lately. And he talks about his father and tells Jamie that he has to forgive his father, not for him, but for his own sake, for Jamie's own sake. And then uh, Jamie, you know, gets some adrenaline and painkillers, but says that the talk from Ted helped too. And he goes in the game. And he's an absolute rock star. Ends up scoring the winning goal for Richmond to advance, to be able to uh, take the Premier League title the following week. But when he was coming in that game and was injured and the crowd who was booing him all game started cheering him because they respected him so much, it reminded me of the Lakers-Celtics rivalry. And Kobe scored, I think, 47 points. And the road team was cheering and calling him MVP. And the Celtics and Lakers had a heated rivalry, especially in 2007, because 
Uh, it was really close to the map. It was a lot closer than it is now, of course, to the Magic and Bird era. So people were really feeling it. And it reminded me of that or Kobe's last game in Boston, you know, just that rivalry and, and a player just playing so well that people give them their respect. And, and it was really cool to watch that with Jamie Tart and his character arc. And um, man, it was, it was just, it was legendary. And I, I give the writers and directors and Phil Dunster playing Jamie Tart a lot of credit for that, for sure. Uh, Ted Lasso confronted a lot of his own demons and became more assertive, working up the courage to talk to his mom who visited him at the end. Uh, so that was cool to see, but I still thought that uh, that that was the best part of the episode. So we have the finale next week and it is called So Long Farewell. And the episode ended with Ted Lasso telling Rebecca he has a secret and with a bit of a pitch for Nate to rejoin the team, which I'm pretty sure I called earlier in the season. I'm not sure I revealed my prediction for the ending. I hope I did, but I am going to reveal it now. And I've thought it since about episode six. Um, there was just a look in the hallway between Ted and Rebecca. I think Ted and Rebecca are going to get together. I think Ted maybe has liked her all along. and We don't know it. You think about Sam over Sonia too, but still, I don't know. I feel as though it could be Ted and Rebecca with all the signs from the psychic she's gotten. And also Ted's mom said that she'd like to see him spend more time with his son. If the show's going to end, I think Ted will go back to America with Rebecca and Nate will end up as the official coach of Richmond AFC. So we'll see what happens. The Ted and Rebecca thing is a bit far-fetched. I'll admit it. But we haven't really seen who the guy's going to be for Rebecca uh, with all the psychic stuff. And I don't think that plot line is going to go nowhere. But yes, might be the end of Ted Lasso. So we're going to have to really enjoy it. And incredible show. A lot of people fell in love with during the pandemic as a feel-good show. And it'll go down as one of the best comedies uh, and feel-good shows of all time with the most Emmy nominations ever for the first season of a comedy. So huge shout out to Ted Lasso. And we'll give it a send off next week, most likely. All right, now we have Yellow Jackets. They had the season finale and spoilers ahead. Um, but yes, major spoiler. So if you like Yellow Jackets, don't listen. But oh man, Natalie in the present day uh, passed away. The girls were recreating their ritual from the wilderness and uh, where someone dies to feed the wilderness and... It was hard to see. It was hard to see with Nat. You know, she'd had a tough life, but I think it was one of those situations where she was in so much pain. And we see why, because it looks as though the series starts with the scene of the Antler Queen. And um, Natalie was the Antler Queen all along. It looks like that she was anointed it. Who knows, though, if something will happen um, in the future. But Overall, it was just a really well done episode with them in the present and how the past affects them and then recreating the ritual where they had to hunt someone and in the past seeing what happened with uh, Javi's death in the previous episode. And uh, yeah, it's it's tough to even talk about, but very Lord of the Flies stuff. And uh, I give I give the writers a lot of credit for sure. And I'm excited to see the show come back for season three. And then we had Ben uh, burning down the cabin. So that was very, very unexpected. And uh, yeah, I think he saw that there were cannibalistic ways going on and that maybe society would be better without them. But still, it's it's not really his call to make. I think everyone's just going a bit crazy out there. And I've never seen a show change tone so much. It really started as a high school show. And then the girls are in the wilderness surviving. But there was still that high school show 
feel to it. And it's gotten unbelievably dark. Um, but, you know, if you like horror, that's what this show has become. And I give it a lot of credit for switching tones and staying the course and staying true to the material and the characters. And uh, it was a really good finale. A lot of fun to watch. But not a series finale, like one of the biggest series finales we have in a long time, probably since Game of Thrones, coming up this Sunday. And that is Succession. Uh, Succession is coming to an end after an excellent Logan Roy funeral episode. Wonderful last season. Great show. It's been a bit tough without Logan, but I think that they can stick the landing to be a top three, top five show of all time with a great finale, which I expect them to do. So I would say that the easy prediction is that it will likely be the Roy kids taking over. That Kendall and Roman and Shiv are all going to come together. And even after all of their fighting with Kendall as the clear cut leader, um, because I think that Shiv has gotten herself in trouble with the family and Roman had a breakdown after the funeral and at the funeral, unfortunately. And while that's extremely human, uh, that's not how things work in the Roy family. It, it was a moment of weakness, even at a funeral uh, that people judge, which again, should never happen in the real world. But this show parodies the darkest parts of the real world. And that's what makes it so great to see because sometimes people glorify uh, people who are unbelievably, you know, billions and billions of dollars wealthy, that if they did that, they must be good people and or happy people even. And as we see here, that's often not the case. Um, so I think that it's going to end with them coming together. But if it does end that way, I don't think it'll be on a happy note. I think the company tanks immediately. And we see that the mistakes they made in the past, you know, calling the election for Mencken to work in their favor, even though Mencken is now going to screw them over um, and they're heading for a board fight is not going to work out in their favor. So we will see, but I think that's how it's going to end. Kendall is king, but only for a day. And they show that, you know, the father had that really killer instinct it took. And I think Kendall is developing it, but I still think Kendall wants to be a good guy deep down more than he wants to be his father and that it's not going to work out because he did some actions that are uh, reprehensible. However, there is one other possible ending I want to go through before we come to the end of this episode of Sky High Sports and Entertainment. What if Cousin Greg rules the land? Hear me out. It would be similar to HBO and Game of Thrones with Bran, but... We didn't have a whole season where Cousin Greg wasn't around. Succession actually began through the perspective of Cousin Greg as an outsider of the family. The very first scene is him joining Royco Waysar and then working his way up and kind of conniving his way in. And he's made these moves all along of copying papers and he has information on everyone and he's in with Matson now. So I don't even know if he screws over the whole Roy family or if the Ma if Matson actually gets it and cousin Greg has to be named CEO, but I think there's a huge possibility that cousin Greg with all the information he has pulls one over on the Roy kids and becomes the CEO of the company. And I think it would be interesting to see that. Uh, I think that could be a really interesting ending to see that Cousin Greg was in the background all along, but he worked his way up and connived a little bit. Um, and he probably just end up going the same route 
as Logan Roy, uh, not becoming a very good guy. But it's going to be an amazing season. The characters, the writing, amazing season finale. The characters, the writing have been next level. And I can't wait to see what happens. But Succession will go down as one of the greatest shows ever. It's going to be an hour and a half. It's going to be an epic finale. I think Kendall will end up on top at some point. But overall, I think that this is going to be um, an amazing episode and Kendall will not end the series on top. The company will go bankrupt or someone like Greg will come in and say, actually, I need to be CEO because you did all this or the authorities take him away. Um, but regardless, I think that it's going to be a really, really interesting ending. Lots of really interesting lessons and insights and perspectives about society and power and primarily the corruption of power. And uh, it's it's been a really incredible show about how people who look like they have it all can be quite miserable. And you just have to be happy with yourself and and love yourself and others instead of what these characters do, uh, which is often the opposite of that. And I give Kendall credit for trying to do the right thing sometimes, but I think that letting Mencken become president was too far a step and even inflating some of the living plus stuff numbers. So we'll see what happens, but it's going to be a really epic finale to watch. Thank you all so much for listening today. Please remember to subscribe and download this episode. And uh, we're going to have a great interview next week as well. Lots of exciting stuff to come as always. Uh, great to be back talking both sports and entertainment again. And yeah, wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and uh, follow me on Instagram at Skylar Treple, Twitter at Skylar Treple 824, LinkedIn and Facebook, Skylar Treple, S-K-Y-L-E-R-T-R-E-P-E-L. If you have time for a five-star rating or review and want to give it, that would be absolutely wonderful as well. I deeply appreciate all of you for listening. Hope you've enjoyed today and enjoy the succession finale this weekend, the Ted Lasso finale next week, Miami Heat, Boston in Miami, game six on Saturday, and NBA finals coming up. What a time to be alive. Thank you so much, everyone.